0: I, I tend to run into difficult things. I, I don't know why that is about me, um, whether it's it's being here in this time of, of challenges um, or even in choosing a text to preach about. I went through a laundry list of some of the most difficult texts to preach about, and I decided on one and as the Lord led, but... Then realize, what in the world am I doing picking a text that's so difficult in the first place? I think for me, part of it is, I'll be honest, it is the growing and the deepening of faith. I think as we struggle with some of the deeper issues, um, some of the more difficult texts in Scripture um, and in life, um, we grow. We are stretched and we are challenged. This passage that we're going to go through today, Matthew 21, 18 through 22, has been often misunderstood and quite often sort of overlooked. Um, It is a challenging passage. And in order to to look at challenging passages, I think it's best, um, in a good hermeneutic principle or a good principle of reading scripture, it's best to use more simple, more straightforward passages to help us enlighten or understand the more difficult passages. And so today we're going to go through quite a few of the more simple passages which illuminate the more difficult. We're going to take some time in the New Testament. We have been in a season of the Old Testament, haven't we, through summer in the Psalms and as David preaches through Genesis. But we're going to Take a bit of an excursus here into the New Testament. But be very clear that the truth of the matter is these two Testaments just so deeply speak to one another. And there is no really sort of movement about one or the other. They just so beautifully tell God's redemptive plan through history. And so if you have your Bible, I would ask that you open it either electronically or physically to Matthew 21, and we will start at verse 18. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Let's pray. Gracious and merciful Father, I pray that you will enlighten us today by your word. I pray for those who have deep faith, Father, that you would grow their faith even deeper. I pray, Father, for those that question that this would be a call to understand, a call to know the God who withered a tree Father, we thank you for this time together and the privilege it is to be in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me start off in reading you a story from the newspaper. It starts off this way. The investigation in the case began on 10 February when officers responded to a call of an injured man lying near a water tower in Coolidge City outside of Phoenix. The man was found with his hands tied behind his back by a belt and a bandana stuffed in his mouth, according to the police. He told the authorities that he was abducted from near his home when he had returned after running an errand that morning. He told officials that he was abducted by two masked men who hid him in the back of the head and knocked him unconscious. The abductors, according to Mr. Souls, drove him around before leaving him near the water tower where he was found. He said during the investigation he was abducted because he had a huge amount of money left by his father hidden somewhere in the desert. The detectives continued their investigation for days to match the evidence to his account by reviewing surveillance footage of the area, scouring his phone details and interviewing so many people. The police eventually concluded the investigation after no evidence was found to corroborate a story. An extensive investigation was conducted by the Coolidge detectives, and evidence was discovering, showing his story was fabricated and no kidnapping or assault ever occurred, says the Daily Mail. The man in Arizona had gone to extreme length to avoid going to work by staging his own kidnapping and making up a story of a family treasure hidden in the desert. Brandon Souls, age 19, was arrested on charges of false reporting to the police after he pleaded guilty to faking his own kidnapping. Souls reportedly told the police he made up the story as, quote, an excuse to get out of work, according to the Coolidge Examiner. The man used to work at a car shop called the Tire Factory, However, it is not known if he still works there. (laughs) Many things, many things and many people can masquerade as the real thing, but can fail upon closer inspection. Jesus deals with this mismatch in a shocking and often misunderstood episode in the Gospels. The stakes are high for not producing fruit, and giving a fruitful impression, and failing to back it up. Some background is in order here to understand the the context of this text. We see the same narrative in the Gospel of Mark. but, But yet they are told differently. Are they different stories, or are they the same? For some who are trying to figure out Christ. This is a stumbling block about how these two stories seem to be told so very differently in these two Gospels. Why? Why are they told so differently? What does this teach us about the Gospels? God's Word is indeed inspired. That is, it is given by God, directed by Him and brought forth always to speak this truth without error according to his purpose. He used these two men, Mark and Matthew, and their differences in personality and personhood to tell the same narrative from different points of view to give us a better, more full understanding of his message. It's similar to the idea of a detective, right, who interviews people who observe the same incident but have seen it from different points of view their perspective on the incident might be somewhat different but it does give the detective better insight into exactly the same incident and what has happened Matthew he tells the narrative in the order of Jerusalem fig tree Jerusalem that is to say that Matthew tells the story that they are going into Jerusalem, they see the fig tree, the event happens, and then they go back to Jerusalem later. But, but Mark, he tells the story as fig tree, Jerusalem fig tree. That is to say, Mark tells the story that they go into Jerusalem, nothing happens. They leave Jerusalem to go stay at Bethany, and on their way back to Jerusalem, the event happens. Oh yes, but wait. Then they leave Jerusalem again, and on their way back to Jerusalem the next day is where we learn of the withering of the tree. Why the differences? We may not know fully all of the reasons for all of the differences, but the point being, That Jesus experienced and met this fig tree on his way into Jerusalem. These two men used this idea of different ways of telling it to say one very specific point. They sandwiched this all together to make sure that we understand that the focus of this event is Jesus going to Jerusalem as the exalted king. Our first point of this morning is that Jesus is the Messiah. For those taking notes, you can write that down. Jesus is the Messiah. Sure, that might be obvious to many of you, but it is significant upon further understanding of this passage. If we reread uh, verses 18 and 19, it goes, In the morning, as he was returning to the city. Now remember... Matthew tells the story that they went into the city, left, and now they're coming back into the city. And they see this fig tree along the wayside. And it's important to know that it's morning time and Jesus is hungry. That's why he approaches this tree to get figs from it. And he went and he found nothing on it but leaves. Odd. Because. The blossoming of leaves generally begins to say that figs are going to come about. But this tree, looking so pretty and nice and full of leaves, has no figs. And he says to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. What? did this tree do to Jesus? (laughs) Why would Jesus do such a thing? It's a seemingly shocking story for Jesus had healed so many and here he is doing almost the opposite to this poor tree. This is a physical parable or an inverted miracle. The telling of this important truth through the act of cursing the tree. This is not an isolated incident. But it is an act thousands of years in the making. There is much to see about Israel's past to understand this shocking behavior of Jesus. Several times in the Old Testament, God is said to have been inspecting Israel for early fig as a sign of spiritual fruitfulness. Micah 7.1, woe is me for I have become as the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned, there is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig That my soul desires. Or Jeremiah 8.13. When I would gather them declares the Lord. There are no grapes on the vine. Nor figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered. And what I gave them has passed away from them. Or Hosea 9.10. Like grapes in the wilderness I found Israel. Like the first fruit on the fig tree in its season, I saw your fathers. But they came to Baal and consecrated themselves to the thing of shame and became detestable. Like that they loved. Each time Israel presents themselves as God's people, he finds no first ripe fig. And so in two exiles... God pours out the curse of barrenness. As it says in Hosea 9.16, Ephraim is stricken. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Even though they gave birth, I will put their beloved children to death. And he makes them like rotten fruit. Jeremiah 29.17. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I am sending them sword and famine and pestilence, and I will make them like vile figs that are so rotten they cannot be eaten. But God, in his infinite grace, would one day replant Israel and produce healthy figs from her once again. With this web of background images, light bulbs should be immediately going off in the minds of the disciples as a reenactment of Israel's history by the cursing of the fig tree. But why here? And, and why now? Is there something about this particular tree The tree and the miracle are perfectly placed in time and in geography. You see, the time is Passion Week. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, his triumphal entrance into Jerusalem on the donkey as prophesied in Zechariah. The crowds are roaring and crying out, Hosanna in the highest. Jerusalem is bustling with excitement for the Passover. But is Israel ready to believe? Is it the season for them to bear fruit? God has sent his son to press his claim upon them and to warn them of judgment. Matthew and Mark, they set the reader's eyes clearly on Jesus and what he will do as he enters into Jerusalem. An entry which is going to prepare the inauguration of the coming of God's kingdom and the restoration of all things. See the early actions of the people of Jerusalem are focused on the outward appearance, the Passover celebration, the tumult, the crowds, the singing It's all a show. Jesus, as he enters into Jerusalem, enters into the house of prayer, into the temple, and he finds it, a den of robbers, as he puts it. Lots of action, lots of bustle, but no righteousness. Said in the context of this particular passage, lots of leaves... No fruit. So upon inspection of the fruitless tree, Jesus pours out divine judgment via two acts. The future-pointing cursing of the temple that we will find later in this chapter and the enactment of the metaphor of the cursing of this tree. The judgment of God through Christ As God's son makes it clear that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised one who will one day replant Israel and produce healthy figs from God's people. Again, Ezekiel 36, 8 says this. But you, O mountains of Israel, shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel. For they will soon come home. Or Joel 2:22, Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pasture of the wilderness is green. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine give their full yield. Micah 4, 4. But they, are, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. These, these are verses looking forward to the one, to the Messiah, the one who saves. To Jesus. But there is still more to see in the connection of these events, of the curse of the fig tree and the confrontation in the temple. You see, Jesus confronts the religious acts and the symbols, the pretense of what the people do, their lack of personal relationship with their God. Mark's account reads like this, And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching them and saying to them, is this not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city, and they passed by in the morning. They saw a fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. You see, these two stories on their surface might seem to be Events presenting an object lesson in the power of prayer. And in a way, that is true. That is how Jesus answers the disciples when they ask the question, why did this tree wither? But there is far more going on. These events together make a statement that Jesus is greater than the temple and greater than all religious symbols and acts. Our second point. Jesus is greater. The temple had served as a center for Israel's worship of God. It had served as a dwelling place for God to meet with his people. And up to this point, there were elaborate rituals which symbolized God's relationship with them and laid the foundation for God's redemptive plan. But these rituals had become a right to faith. In and of themselves, an earning of God's favor, and for many, a badge of honor. The curse of the fig tree and the turning of the tables in the temple are being linked together to bring about this particular message to the disciples. This should make the disciples think about another time back in their travels when Jesus was also hungry. In Matthew 12, 1 through 6, it says, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him? He entered the house of God and ate bread. Which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for priests. Or have you not read in the law of how the Sabbath priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, he says, something is greater. Something greater than the temple is here. Jesus is greater than the temple For he will destroy this symbol and bring to pass on the cross the day in which God through the Spirit will in fact dwell no longer in the temple, but within his own people. They will no longer need to meet God in a place, but God is with us as his son. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the awaited Messiah, will suffer, die. Rise again from the dead so that God's people will no longer need kings or prophets or priests. He is the prophet, priest, and king for all eternity. So that fig tree of Israel will be for all who hear Jesus. For those who put their faith in him will indeed bear much fruit. I wonder, what kind of fruit? What fruit is Jesus and the Old Testament talking about as it says that God's people will indeed bear fruit? You know, for those who know me well, you might know that I love wine. Indeed, I do. I got started in thinking about wine and collecting wine because my mother-in-law had bought me a book about this thick on just about everything there is to know about wine. What got me hooked was not drinking the wine, but the understanding of what happens when the vine is planted, to picking the grape, to making the wine. It is remarkable what goes on. All the way from the soil in which it is planted, the grape which is raised, the rain that makes it, the sun which makes it, the time that it stays and the time to pick it, the fermentation process, the balance, the taste. It is remarkable what happens to this seed in order to produce this amazing drink. It is so amazing that that wines like a 1947 Chevelle Blanc Which is claimed to be the greatest wine, outside of Jesus turning the water into wine, of course. But the greatest, greatest wine made by mankind. If you would like a bottle, you can go online and search for it. If you're lucky, you will find one. But be prepared. It will cost you $15,000 for one bottle. Okay, how about... A 1961 Chateau Latour, an amazing, amazing um, vintage, amazing winery. But if you would like a 1961 Latour, get ready to spend $5,000 for that bottle. Wine is a remarkable thing because God has turned what is dirt and a seed into fruit. And while these fruits are wonderful, this is definitely not the type of fruit that we are talking about in this passage. The Old Testament expectation that God's covenant people bear fruit did not wither on the road to Bethany and Jerusalem. When that poor fig tree met its fate. In fact, the mandate for God's people to bear fruit has intensified in this era. Not to earn God's affection or to walk with a badge of honor, but to yield that which he is remaking us to do. It says in Romans 7 verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to one another, to him who has raised from the dead, in order that we... May bear fruit for God, in order that we may bear fruit. When a fruit tree bears fruit, it produces something that it is logically made for, does it not? Like a fig tree produces figs. A orange tree produces oranges. An apple tree makes apples, etc., etc. So, what do we make? What is our fruit? What does the Bible say when it speaks of us in producing and bearing fruit? What is that? There are several things the Bible speaks of concerning spiritual fruit. One is children, the fruit of the womb. Another is work, the fruit of our labors. Another is disciples. This is most often understood as the aspect that is referred to. We are are to produce followers of Christ. We are indeed to evangelize and to preach and to teach the gospel to others. And all of that is true. And that is a product or a fruit of our redeeming faith in Christ. But I would challenge you and articulate there is another fruit. That I think is foremost on the mind here. And that is foundational to the remade selves that we are in Jesus. And that is transformation. The internal heart and mind of the Christian. Transformed from old to new. From stone to flesh. From death to life. In Ephesians, Paul puts it this way. Sorry, Galatians. In Galatians, Paul puts it this way. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. We could spend hours just talking about that passage alone. And who knows, maybe we will. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. But there are a few key points that I would love to leave with you today. All too often we think of these things, these fruit of the Spirit that are mentioned as acts or events or things that we do. So we might do an act of kindness like walked a little old lady or little old man across the street. Then of course, we might tell her son off for not providing a wheelchair. We might wait patiently at the doctor's office. And then when we leave, run the yellow light cutting off the car beside you and laying on our horn as they give us the finger. We might love our neighbor until at least his lawn grows so high that snakes begin to slither into your yard from the safe haven of the tall grass in his yard. This fruit, and notice that this text does not say fruits, it is a singular noun, this fruit of the Spirit, is the natural outcome or product of a transformed life, or maybe better said, a transforming life, a life that is being transformed by the Spirit in Jesus Christ. A life given over to Jesus in faith in him alone. This is the fruit of a glorious, ever-living, ever-joyous tree. Earlier in the Galatians passage, Paul contrasts the fruit of the Spirit with the fruit of the flesh. The fruit of the flesh are the kinds of struggles and strife that we see around us each and every day. The thing that news story after news story after news story is based upon. In this Matthew 21, during the fig tree passage, Jesus forewarns us that we are indeed trees. He calls us trees because indeed he is the Messiah, the one sent by God to redeem the world. And he is the object of faith, the one who sits with the Father so that we may be seen by the Father as righteous. Righteous. And invites us into his heavenly places. Yes, you and I are either trees of the spirit or trees of the flesh. Producing spiritual fruit or producing selfishness and deceit, debauchery and malice. The message of Matthew 21 makes it clear that we cannot pretend to be a spirit tree. We cannot dress ourselves up or do the right things or go to church or walk anyone across the street and think we are spirit trees when our roots, the roots of our tree are in the flesh. Only when we are rooted in Jesus by faith are we spirit trees and we will see that fruit as he promised. It might be slow at first, but we will see that fruit, and we will see that fruit by the transforming of our lives, a natural production of a transformed life in the spirit of Christ. Let's pray. Merciful and gracious Lord, I pray for those who are here with us today online or with us physically, that pretend, that act as if they know you, that want desperately to let the world know that they know you, and yet do not. I pray that this message, this scripture, this passage will be a call to them to give themselves to you by faith and faith alone. I pray, Father, for those who do know you, that this would be a deepening time of understanding how you will use us to produce fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, that we may love and be kind and gracious to others, that we might share our story and our faith. Father, I pray for those who know nothing of you but seek to find you. Seek to understand your word and your character. I pray, Father, that this complicated story would unlock, Father, for them. That they would know who you are and know that you and you alone are the giver of all good gifts. And you and you alone will move us from death to life. From a tree planted in the flesh to a tree planted in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.